Welcome back. This week, we have a bit of a history lesson, but a, a history lesson I think that's certainly worth hearing um, as we're, you know, in the midst of um, a, a resurgence, a, um, you know, usually when we talk about resurgence, we're talking about, we're, we're hearing about Afghanistan or something like that. Um, but no, we're talking about a resurgence of, of COVID. You know, we, just a few weeks ago, we thought that we were, we could see the, the finish line. We right. thought that we were almost there. And then along comes uh, Delta variant. Right. And, and here we are right in the thick of it again. Starting um, to feel like 2020 again, right? Um, it is. And, and, you know, and we're hearing so many things. And, you know, we, I know we have a lot of listeners um, and viewers uh, on YouTube from all over the place. Um, not just in, in Florida, but, um, you know, it, it is fascinating to see how different states are handling these, the situation. And, you know, uh, it's really difficult uh, to talk about it in some ways without getting into the political uh, nature of it, uh, because there is such a big difference between red states and blue states. Um, you know, we, we won't go in that direction, but my goodness, they, uh, there is a difference. Yeah, uh, you know, it, and it was, it was just a few weeks ago that we were thinking, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe we can start to get back to life as it was before the, and that the light at the end of the tunnel, well, the light at the end of the tunnel looks like it might be an oncoming train after all, you know, we were thinking that it wasn't, but maybe it is. And, and so, here we go again, um, not only in our country, but in other countries uh, around the world where the virus, as we said a year ago, has started to mutate, which is what viruses do. Um, that's why we have a different strain of flu every winter right. and why it's necessary to get a, a new flu shot each year because viruses have this ability to change their shape just a little bit right. and, um, and, and become something else. And I think we've mentioned on the program a couple of times that in the last pandemic of 1918, 1919, it was the variant of the, what was then called the Spanish flu. It's nothing to do with anything. Um, but the, the pandemic of 1918, 1919, it was the variant that, that proved to be most lethal. Right. And, and we've always been afraid of that with this one. And that's why we, we, are, we are urged to get vaccinated because vac vaccination is a way to slow down the spread of the disease so that it can't mutate. Right. I mean, that's the whole point, so that it doesn't mutate. Well, it's mutating. Right. And so this, this week's mutation is the Delta variant. We have no idea what it will do, what devastation it will rot. We have no idea. It's unpredictable. Mm -hmm. um, but there, didn't you say there were three other variants there, there, uh, along. There, there are at least a few others. The, the main one that I've read a little bit about is called the Lambda, Lambda. variant, which um, sounds a little bit more intimidating even than the Delta. Um, right. Because they're, they're worried about it not even being, not even responding to or, or being managed by the vaccines. By the current vaccines. And that's what, that's what's going to be the worst. That's the worst case scenario right. is that one of the, the Delta variant um, the vaccine seems to be effective in not protecting you from getting it, but it, you have a reduction of symptoms. 
your right. symptoms aren't as severe. Yeah, it, there's some protection, but not not quite at the level of the the original. But uh, right. but yeah, it, it offers some protection and it minimizes symptom uh, presentation. Um, significantly decreases risk for you know death, of course, uh, mm-hmm. which is great. <laughs> you know that's the the, that's uh, what we the want. ultimate goal. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the, the, it's going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to mutate, and and that's what that that is what living organisms do. Um, mm-hmm. And a virus is a living yeah. organism. You know, right. it 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 infects and it mutates so that it survives. Um, and so, it, and it's just do sometimes there are viral uh, viruses that evolve much more quickly than um, other viruses. So uh, this is one of those seems to be one of those cases. Right, right. So what we want to do is end this as quickly as possible to prevent further mutations, right. because we don't want to get a mutated form of this disease for which we have no cure. Right. For which we have no protection. Right. And so <clears throat> it's a bit of a dangerous game. Um, and we have to just leave it up to the experts to get it right, to get to, to keep us um, at least, a, if not ahead of this virus, at least not to get too far behind so that it really does um, become destructive. Right. And in that vein, um, we have a little pop quiz this morning. Because um, we thought, well, let's take a look at this. My curiosity really just got the best of me, so I apologize because I kind of sprung this on you. I sprang, sprang, sprung this on you uh, yesterday. Yes. When I sent this to you, and, and I knew how you would react because you hated history when you were in school, and you continued to hate history. Um, no, I knew I knew how you would feel about this, so I, I do apologize. But uh, I wanted to ask you if you know who Maurice Hillman is. Maurice Hillman was born in 1919, died in 2005. He was born in the plains of Montana, a little city, grew up on a farm in Miles City, Montana. And um, he was the last of eight children. Um, His twin sister died in childbirth and his mother died two days later. And he was raised by, he was raised on, his uncle's farm and his task was to take care of the chickens. That was was one of his jobs. Um, Little boy grew up on a farm and his job was to take care of the chickens. And um, it's it, well, we'll get to that later. Um, He was a smart kid, smart guy, um, got a scholarship to Montana State University and completed a bachelor's degree in microbiology and chemistry and in 1944, he went from Montana State, went and got his PhD in uh, microbiology and chemistry from the University of Chicago. And if you read about him, um, th- these were the days when getting a PhD was a rigorous, <laughs> you, it, was, it was a sink or swim right. uh, mentality. Today's doctoral students, it's a rigorous training program, but you're coached and mentored along the way to become um, as, as good as you can, as, as good as you can be. In those days, um, if you got a PhD, you were kind of on your own and you were just slogging it out. And, and the goal was to get rid of you and, and make it as difficult as possible. And in those days, if you had a defense of your dissertation, anybody could come to it. Right. 
but you could be you could be doing a topic on uh, Mars, and you could get somebody from NASA to come into your dissertation and ask you questions that you couldn't answer, right. and you would you would fail your your uh, your right. program. So these were these were these were tough times. Um, if you talk to people who were educated in those years, they kind of laugh at how we do it today because it's we made it so easy, or right. they say it's it's easy. So because he was such a good student, his professors assumed and encouraged him to go into academics. So they, they thought this is a perfect fit for an academician. This guy's smart, he's gonna do research. He'll be a great addition to a faculty. He really should go into academia. Instead, he chose to go into industry. And the reason he did was because in those years, um, in, the, in the 30s and 40s, we didn't have the kind of funding for education and grants that we have today. And he said, no, we just, universities don't, just don't have the resources. Those resources really started to become available in the, in the 60s and 70s. But when he was, when, when he was educated, um, there wasn't the kind of um, government funding um, that there is today. And uh, in fact, most of that came out of the Cold War. You know, we had to beat Russia, so we had to fund science. And so um, he decided to go into industry and part of that was a moral decision because he said, whatever work I do, I want to get in, I want it to be practical and I want it to get to market. I want it to benefit people. I don't want to just work in the lab and do things that nobody knows about. And his first contribution was in 1944, the year that he graduated and finished his PhD, he developed a vaccine. And you can see where this is going now. Right. He developed a vaccine to immunize that immunized United States soldiers fighting in the Pacific theater that protected them against the Japanese B encephalitis, a brain virus. And um, he developed a vaccine to protect American troops. Right. Now you've heard of the Asian flu. Right. Right. Uh -huh. <clears throat> In 1957, so after the war, he goes back and starts working for a company and he was the person who discovered that the Asian flu, sometimes called the Hong Kong flu, but the Asian flu was a different strain of flu. And he developed a vaccine to battle this new strain of flu. And because he was in business, he was able to produce 40 million doses. And those doses got to people and the Asian flu was stopped. Right. Yeah. And I the, yeah. I think that the big take home message right here so far is the, the idea that, um, you know, back in the, the 40s and 50s, this guy understood that a, um, a, a virus can have different strains um, and that those different strains are going to respond differently to um, various um, uh, vaccines <clears throat> and um, our, our, you know, innate development of antibodies and, and everything. Um, and so that uh, because that virus can mutate, um, there, there's these changes that happen and then we have to respond to it differently. Right. Um, and, and again, like you said, you know, does it sound familiar? This is exactly what we're going through right now. Right. Um, that we, we have this virus that continues to, to mutate, it continues to change. And so when, when it does, we have to shift and um, adjust as well. Right, right. And the, the whole idea, we're talking about 
his work in the 30s and 40s and 50s. So this is quite uh, almost a century, I mean, 70 years ago. Um, and he, but he was using a technology that even then was hundreds of years old. Right. Um, you all name, recognize the name Edward Jenner, you know, who developed the vaccine for smallpox. Mm -hmm. And this was a discovery that this was in the 1700s that, that, that people realized that if you took a small amount of the virus and you put it into people, healthy individuals, that it would spark their immune system and they would develop antibodies to fight the disease. Um, when the Europeans uh, conquerors came to the Americas in the 14 and 1500s, there was only a handful of conquistadors. Right. And everybody wondered, how could they defeat thousands of Aztecs and Incas with these great right. civilizations? Well, it was smallpox that killed them, not the soldiers. Right. Right? Because the Native Americans, the indigenous populations, had no immunities to smallpox. Europeans had developed some, but um, the, American, the, um, the Americans didn't have any, or the, the indigenous peoples didn't have any. And so smallpox just was rampant through the population and, and it destroyed those large advanced civilizations in, in uh, middle Americas. Right. So we've known for hundreds of years, we've probably known for more than that because smallpox was around in ancient Egypt. Right. Um, it's been around forever. And they've known for a long time that by introducing, by, by um, um, exposing people to the, vex, to the virus, right. that you develop immunities to it. Yeah, but, but Heilman, um, you know, when he was looking at this and, and he realized that, that we have these, we, we develop these antibodies and, you know, using it to develop um, immunizations and vaccines and things, um, and then the acknowledgement and understanding that mm -hmm. it took to just to look at the mutations and how that changed. Um, you know, he, he talked about, you know, these mutations as a, as something called, you know, antigenic shift That's uh, right. or mm -hmm. antigenic drift. And, and he said that because of this, you know, we're probably going to need influenza, you know, flu vaccines every year. Because it's right. going to continue, it's going to slightly change, um, sometimes significantly change, um, on a on a periodic basis. To where mm -hmm. we're going to need a different vaccination every year. Right. You know, we're talking about um, the variants, the, this Delta variant. Well, he's the person who discovered the genetic changes that occur in these viruses. Right. He, he was the one. He, he was the one who first what you called um, uh, antigenic drift. Okay, yeah. uh, or, or shift that viruses will mutate. He was the one who discovered that. So all the stuff that we're talking about today came from his laboratories, came from his work. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, in 1957, he goes to work for Merck, a company that's still around today. And um, it was while he was working at Merck that he developed 40 <laughs> vaccines. Um, the vaccines that we used to say, he developed 40 of them, the, the 40 that we know about. Um, it was in his laboratory. And um, he, um, 
he developed, we, we have 14 vaccines, right. sort of the, the American vaccine schedule right. of, of uh, chicken pox and measles and mumps and rubella. He developed eight of those. Right. And so this is the guy who developed the vaccine for measles, mumps, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, meningitis, chicken pox, pneumonia, HIV, and rubella. Mm-hmm. This is the guy. Right. You ever heard? I never heard of Maurice right. Hill. Okay. Um, he, his vaccines, his, it was a funny article. Well, it wasn't a funny article. The article was, the article was, one of the articles was about him was written in the 80s. And, 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 and it said, his vaccines save over 8 million lives a year. Yeah. It's credited to wiping out. We no longer have smallpox. Okay. It's uh, smallpox. Well, I'll get to that later, but his vaccines are credited with saving over uh, 8 million lives a year. And yet nobody has heard of him. And they mention in the article, they mentioned Madonna and um, Jose Canseco. People probably don't even know who Jose Canseco is. He was a famous baseball player back in the eighties, a home run hitter. And he said, everybody knows who these people are, but here's a guy who's, who's, whose work has saved, um, saves right. 8 million lives a year. Nobody knows him. Right, Again. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he's been, you know, his work has been profound for decades. I mean, in the 1950s, you know, the, the, that big, there was a big influenza outbreak in, in Hong Kong. Um, And it could have been, you know, another pandemic. It could have been another massive uh, outbreak. And so he saw some warning signs um, related to that. And pretty quickly, again, very similar to what we have with the, our current situation, pretty mm-hmm. quickly over the course of a couple of weeks, um, they, he and some, um, some of the people that he was working with found a way to create a, um, uh, a vaccine right. that mm-hmm. they're estimating saved you know, thousands mm-hmm. um, of people's lives. So even though, even though that particular uh, flu variant ended up killing about 69,000 people here in America. Um, they're saying that without his vaccines, without his work, could have killed many, many, many more. Right. That's um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he ended yeah. up getting awards and medals and things for, for that. <laughs> but again, we've never heard of him. Now, Bernie, do you have a chick? Do you have a vaccination scar on either of your shoulders? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Everybody... Yeah. For my generation, if you look at one of their shoulders, they have this little round. I don't know. Would your mother have one? She does. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we were inoculated against chickenpox, they I, I barely remember it, but it was like about the size of a dime or a nickel. And there seemed to be multiple needles in it, and it would be jabbed into your arm while you were being infected mm-hmm. with the chickenpox virus. And there would be a pussy little sore. Yeah. on your shoulder that you weren't allowed to touch, right. leave it alone. And that was the live virus being injected into your body to protect you. Those of us who had that, we need to get revaccinated now because it, it doesn't last forever. Right. And so if you're traveling to countries where chickenpox uh, is still around, that, that uh, zoster virus is still around, um, you have to get revaccinated. Mm-hmm. To, to give you enough protection. Right. Um, and so um, 
there's nothing new, but now you took up probably a little sugar pill, a little sugar cube. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, because the, what they did is they had a, an oral uh, mm-hmm. form that they could put the, uh, they could put it into it. I think it was a sugar cube or something, and you could just it would dissolve and you would get the virus. So your your generation, like none of my kids have um, right uh, vaccine scars. So, but this is the guy who um, really brought all this. And again, he didn't invent the technology. The right. technology had been around for several hundred years. So there's nothing new about what he did. Now, our second person is a um, woman by, uh, by the name of... Um, Catalina Carico. Catalina Carico. She was born in Hungary. She was a Hungarian um, physician, born in Hungary. Mm-hmm. And... Um, she ran out of funding. She was, this is the person who's credited with developing the messenger RNA vaccine that we use in the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. The, right. That's the technology. And she's credited with that. And there was an article written by a husband and wife uh, physicians um, that she this was 40 years ago, okay? So she was working in, this, in the 80s and, in Hungary and she ran out of funding. And um, this was during, during the uh, Cold War. And she ran out of funding. So she came to the United States, was hired uh, on, joined the faculty at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, she was working on this mRNA technology. And there were seven grants um, that year Six of them were funded by the government because this is in the 80s now the government was funding this research. And hers was not funded because it was considered to be too controversial, all right? But there were two chance meetings that she had. One was with a guy by the name of Drew Wiseman. um, And he was an immunologist uh, working, he had been at the National Institutes of Health and had worked with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Names now are familiar. And Wiseman was working on a vaccine for HIV. Right. right? Because this was the AIDS epidemic had just uh, kicked in. And so they met, uh, I think at a conference or something and uh, decided to start collaborating because Wiseman was interested in her work um, for the treatment of um, HIV, which was another one of those viruses. We didn't have any protection for it. And there was this scramble to say, what can we do about this virus? Okay. The second chance encounter was with a, a researcher from um, BioNTech and we've heard of BioNTech. And that's a company that we've all heard of because of the coronavirus, okay? And he was very impressed with the technology that she used in the mRNA um, uh, technology. So the article that is written or the book that's written talks about how these discoveries, these innovations sometimes happen almost by accident because had she not accidentally bumped into these two other researchers, um, her, this technology that she developed, uh, in the eighties, would be in the Valley of Death. They call it the Valley of Death. It's created, but it doesn't go anywhere. Right, because, um, you know, uh, having, we both worked in in academia and, um, you know, it is, what this story reminded me of is just 
how many, you know, ingenious ideas mm-hmm. um, and, and possibilities and innovations <clears throat> probably died on a, um, you know, in, in somebody's, on somebody's desk because they didn't get funding. Right. Um, when, you, when you think about um, the way that academia works is mm-hmm. without funding, things don't happen. Right. Um, you, know, right. you, you don't just work. Um, I think it's a bit of a misconception that a lot of people have is that, you know, w- when you're at a university, you're just doing research all the time. Well, y- you do, but you can only do the research that gets funded. You have to pay for your time. Um, and, and universities are pretty, uh, especially nowadays, they're very uh, strict about how much money you're bringing in um, and to account for your time and, and, and your work. So, um, so yeah, without these two happenstances, um, who knows where things would be right now. Right, right. And our purpose in talking about Hillman and um, Carico, Carico is um, a little less lofty than, than, you know, innovation and how innovation gets to market. Ours is that the, this technology, because p- this technology um, has been around for more than 40 years. This M, what, what you read as M, RNA technology has been around, it's been tested, it's been used safely and successfully against any number of viruses. There's really, there's nothing new about this. It didn't come out of a laboratory last year. Right. This is, this, this was back in the eighties, this stuff was being researched and it continues to be researched. In 2018, in fact, we, we posted this. If you want to read about this, um, there, there was an article published in Nature magazine, and it was a review article. And in fact, one of the articles on it is Drew Wiseman, the same guy that she collaborated with, that, that gives the story behind this virus, or behind this vaccine. And this review article, now a review article is written way after the, something has been tested and there are a number of articles about it. Um, so you go back and you look at the literature and do a whole review. It was written in 2018 before the pandemic ever hit. So the technology that's being used in the vaccine was developed long before 2018. Right, which, which um, you know, is just, just to put the line underneath it of what you're saying is that a lot of people resist the idea of getting mm-hmm. vaccinated for, for COVID-19 right. because they are saying, well, this is brand new stuff and we don't know what it's going to do. We don't <laughs> know what it does. Right. It's, 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 it just came around last year in response to this. No, this is technology, you know, whether it was Heilman who's been doing this for, you know, 60, 70 years, right. or it's um, Carico who, who's been working with messenger RNA based, um, you know, vaccines and, and work for, you know, 20 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been around a long time. And, it, you know, with new technology, we can get through the process of developing some of these things much, much faster. Again, remember what we said about Heilman, who, you know, in 19, what was it, 1957, with, right. the, with the Hong Kong um, uh, flu uh, influenza, you know, they, it was just a couple of weeks that they worked to develop a vaccine that, that helped save the lives of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Right. That's right. Yeah. They, it's not brand new. No. And, and bringing these things to market very quickly. And this is work that's in, a, these are, we know this technology, we know how this stuff works, whether it's a live virus 
or it's an it's it's an RNA messenger system. We know this technology. It's it's not new stuff. Okay? Right. So when when people make the argument, I'm not putting that in my mind. I don't know what that will do. We do know what it does. We've right. known for 40 years what it does. Okay? Right. And it's much more sophisticated now. You know, mm -hmm. I think that the other thing that that people struggle with is that, you know, they say, yeah, you're putting a live, um, you know, uh, uh, the virus, in, you know, infecting us with the virus, and we don't know what it's going to do. Well, um, but but the technology now is is far superior to you know what they used to do with smallpox, where they you know would take right. actually some of the the discharge from the you know from the <laughs> active virus and. Right. Or, or blood from an infected person and injected, you know, a healthy person with right. it. This is far beyond that. You know? when, when Jenner did his work in the 1700s, he would actually take discharge from a sore. Right. And scratch it into the skin. And he did that on his own children. Yeah. That's how sure he was that he did. That's what, that's what led to the breakthrough is that he did this on his own kids and yeah. showed the world that, this is safe. It's an effective way to protect your children against this horrible smallpox is a wretched disease. Yeah. And so, but that's a live virus. Um, messenger RNA is not a live virus. You're not injecting a live, you're, you're, you're changing something about the cells, but you're not injecting somebody with a live virus. Okay. But it's not a new technology. So what's the take home message here? So what about vaccines and the coronavirus? Well, um, we don't, Dr. Bernie and I are not here this morning to try to change anybody's mind about their vaccine decision. That's not what this is about. But at the same time, I think we would be remiss if we didn't, uh, if we remained silent, if we didn't discuss these things. It's helpful to know this stuff as you make, because people say, well, I think I ought to be able to make my own decision. And I say, absolutely, but make your decision based on reliable information. Right. And, and, and one of the things you need to know is that this is not new technology. This, this wasn't invented in 2020 or 2021, okay? And then other people say, well, I can still get the virus. Even if I get the vaccine, I can still get the virus. It's possible, but again, that's not new. In 1978, we, the World Health Organization, assumed that smallpox had been completely eradicated. In fact, it has been. But in 1978, um, a woman in England by the name of Janet Parker um, contracted smallpox. Now, she worked in the anatomy, de anatomy department of Bir the Birmingham Medical School. And as it turns out, there was a laboratory in the medical school that had, it was one of a handful of laboratories in the world that was allowed to work on the smallpox virus. And that, so this is a controlled, sterile environment. And, but he had, the, the, the head of that laboratory had the technology and he was given permission to work on the smallpox virus. Nobody knows how Janet Parker contracted smallpox, um, but she eventually died. At first it was diagnosed as chickenpox when she got, because they said, well, it has to be chickenpox. But her mother came in and said, no, my daughter had chickenpox as a child and this is not what it looked like. 
okay, and she described the chickenpox and said, this is something different. Turned out she had smallpox. She was sent to a um, isolation hospital in England and died a few days later. Um, her family, who had all been exposed, um, were all given the virus. They were all um, inoculated against smallpox and they survived. Her father died of a heart attack during this whole process because he was worried about her. And the guy who ran the laboratory committed suicide. Um, and it's, it's a tragic story. She is the last recorded death from smallpox mm -hmm. um, on, the, on the planet, okay? That was in 1978. There was one other person in 1977 in Africa, and then she died in 1978. This is the last death. So why did she get it? Why did, with all these people in this building, why did only Janet Parker get it? The reason I mention this is because we don't know. I mean, there, there are questions. Right. Now, here's a, here's a disease we thought had been completely eradicated. Um, they thought, how could anybody have smallpox? And so, yeah, there are questions that we don't have answers to, just like this one. We don't have answers to it. Right. Because but we, we stopped that vaccine. We stopped that spread because what people were afraid of is that smallpox is back and it's going to go through the country. No, they vaccinated people and it ended. Right. And, and I and I think that you know the we we don't know, and, and because we we all have all of our biology is slightly different, you know, and so it, it's it's remarkable even that even though there are some breakthrough cases, that the breakthrough cases are as relatively rare as they are. That's right. With with the with the massive amount of variability between each of us, you know, whether it's our immune systems or, our, you know, just our, some of our genetics that, that make us, you know, different. It, it is remarkable to think that despite those differences, um, it works for the vast majority of us. Right. <laughs> for hundreds of millions of people. Right. Okay. So, so, so yes, there are some breakthroughs, but <clears throat> when you think about the, the number of breakthroughs versus the number of non-breakthroughs um it's pretty remarkable right yeah and it's pretty safe right. when you think of the millions and millions of cases of doses and you think of the handful of, of side effects that people have had well you that's going to happen i mean there are there the, that's just the, the nature of biology is right. that you're going to have anomalies that occur why did janet parker get smallpox nobody knows by the way, they couldn't do an autopsy. They were afraid to do an autopsy because they were afraid of spreading the disease. Sure. So sure. They, they weren't able to, to uh, ever determine why she got it and nobody else in the building got it. Why her? Okay. Because there's something unique about her biology. We don't right. know what it is. Okay. Presumably, she, well, she had chickenpox, but I don't know whether she was vaccinated or not. So right. we, assume not she got, we assume that she had the smallpox vaccine. We don't, we don't right. know for certain. So. Right. So that's point number one. <clears throat> point number two is, and um, this, the science that produced messenger RNA is the same science that overworked, beleaguered healthcare workers are going to use to try to save your life if you contract this virus. Right. It, it's all the same science. Right. You want to go to an emergency room, all the decisions that are made in that emergency department right. are based on the science that produced right. mRNA. 
Right. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's, um, yeah, the science, the, the science that people question that produced the vaccines right. is the same science that they're going to rely on for treatment if they get the virus anyways. That's what science is science. This is, this is how we do science. Right. Okay. And so you say, well, I want, <clears throat> I want this science, but I don't want this science. Yeah. I, I don't want the science to prevent it, but I certainly want the science to treat it. And, right. and that, that is such a, 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 a unique way of thinking, right. um, but it's very consistent with lots of other things um, that we're much more reactive than we are proactive. Right. Right. Yeah. This is, this is a way, here's some science that you can use to prevent this disease from spreading. It'll prevent you from getting it. It'll prevent you from dying and it'll prevent the virus from spreading and mutating and developing something that we cannot have a treatment for. And then a hundred million people will die. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you can't pick and choose. Well, you can, of course, Shouldn't. but think about, think about that decision. The right. science in the ER is the same science that produced the virus. Okay. Uh, the final point, and I don't mean this politically, <clears throat> but I, I really do think that politicians have squeezed about as much out of this controversy as they have, they can. I mean, we all now know that the whole pandemic has been politicized. We know that everybody knows it. And people, politicians are using this for political gain. And they're making decisions based not on science. They're gambling that that decisions that they make um, will work out for them. We'll, we'll get right. them political points. But I think as you look at the different states um, and you see people using the virus to gain political advantage, I think that everybody. I think they they've squeezed about as much as they can. And I think if we're going to get this thing under control, we have to start relying on, on the experts, on the scientists who know, who have known for hundreds of years how to do this. There's nothing new about the coronavirus. It's a new virus, but there's nothing new about the technology or the treatment for this, for this disease. And it's time we, we say to the experts, you, you know how to get us out of this, lead us out of this because the, Politicians are not going to do that. And, and, and I think that, that they need to stop pretending that they know something that the scientists don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, and there's a, a whole lot that could be a whole lot more that could be said about, you know, um, you know nobody is trying to infringe on anyone else's rights or their, their, their freedom of decisions uh, to make decisions or choices right. or anything like that, that, that they feel is right for themselves and for others. But, Mm -hmm. But but don't do that based upon unfounded conspiracies, um, unfounded claims of, of a um, you know these covert um, ideas or missions or, or plans or anything like that. It's um, you know be informed, make a decision, make your free will decision to do what you want to mm -hmm. do, but do it informed. You know, that's, that's the key word is you have to be informed. You need to know what it is that you're deciding. Um, not because somebody told you that, but because you understand that because you've 
learned about it, you've read about it, you understand what's going on. Yeah, we know. I mean, I think the biggest difference with this pandemic is the internet. Um, we now have the ability to disseminate information very quickly to very large numbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen that. We saw that in the um, um, spring, what was that? Um, in Tunisia when the um, revolutions just started, uh, 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 I forget what it's called, it's something spring. Um, and uh, you can use the internet to get information broadcast to large numbers of people. Right. And that's what happened with this pandemic is that false information, right. information can be true or false. False information is able to be broadcast uh, to millions of people with the push of a button. We, we, right. we all know that. Um, and that's what's happened here is that misinformation got mixed in with the science and it has created um, uh, this environment um, of hostility against the scientists. I mean, look at all the, the threats and the criticism that Anthony Fauci, I mean, he's devoted his life to this stuff. He knows as much about this as anybody in the world. And the abuse that this man has had to put up with right. because he's tried to save people's lives, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's baffling to me. So. Absolutely. And, and, and when you when you read about things, you know, read from different sources, you know, and, and read, read thoroughly, read, read all of the information, you know, um, my goodness, there are books out there that tell you that it's dangerous to eat vegetables. <laughs> we know that it's not dangerous to eat vegetables, but there are books out there that say that it's dangerous to eat vegetables. So, um, you know, <laughs> and one more, don't use horse paste. And you're going to say, horse paste? What is horse paste? Well, somebody, <laughs> somebody read the ingredients in the mRNA vaccine mm -hmm. and said, oh, this is the same stuff that's in this medication that we give to our horses. It was a single ingredient. I forget the name. I forget what the ingredient was. So this guy started, started taking the medication that they give to horses, and that was going to be the way he was going to protect himself against the uh, coronavirus. Well, now <laughs> a horse—how much does a horse weigh, Bernie? Like fifteen hundred pounds? A lot. Okay, so they're taking—and I don't mean to laugh—but they're they're using horse paste, this this medication, and they're taking it, and they're getting sick because the dose is way too high because it's meant for a large farm animal, not for humans. And I had not read that about that, but it's people, you know, it's just so difficult to, I, I, because what they're saying is, is I would rather, I would rather do this unfounded, never been tested, never been explored before treatment plan than this other one that yes is new but has been used and looked at by you know by now you know millions of people um but i'm going to do this other one you know because i've got this horse also here's this thing that we've tested for 40 years has the horse pace been tested for 40 years has it i <laughs> It's your choice, of course. You know, we, we sure. give you give you your choice. But here's your choice. You can take this horse paste or you can take this. Right. Which one do you want to use? Yeah. All There's right. um, 
so yes, uh, we, we, I think we have a uh, citation for the nature. If you're going to read stuff, yeah. read the stuff that comes from people who have de devoted their lives to studying it, not to somebody who read about horse paste, yeah. uh, horse medication. So Absolutely. yeah, be careful, be, 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 you know, be wise consumer of information. Right. Right. All okay. right. And we hope this helps uh, this, this sort of background um, to the, to um, vaccinations and the new technology, this, this wonderful new technology that we have. So there's a, there's a story here and we hope that this helps you uh, make your decisions. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for today. Um, until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. <laughs>